Good morning, church. <laughs> Open your Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3. I want to start off with a question. What came first, the chicken or the egg? Another question. You can think about both. What came first, the Bible or the resurrection? While you're thinking about that, let me tell you about Mandy. Mandy and her husband, Dwayne, had their home cursed by the medicine man on the White Mountain Indian Reservation. He also happened to be the medicine man, her grandfather. Mandy and Duane had just made Jesus Christ their Lord and believed that their home was under attack because of it. They called Gail and I and listed a series of very strange occurrences which seemed to be connected to evil that wasn't coincidental. So we agreed to come out to their home and to pray with them and to read scripture with them and to help them claim that house in a very special way for the Savior that they had asked into their hearts. They wanted him to make their home as well his home. Trusting that God would deliver from that place all the strange things that were going on. Well, Gil and I fasted and we prayed. We read scriptures that reminded us that only the Holy Spirit and only the truth could set this couple free. And so it was our role to go to their home to both point them to the truth and invite them to believe in it and walk in it just as God invites us to. Now, I want to tell you right up front, this is not a, a, a unique part of any ministry that Gail and I are part of or a seminar that we happen to conduct. But it was in response to some teaching that I had been sharing with the church in Rudos in regards to freedom in Christ. Our relationship with Mandy and Dwayne began because they were having marital problems. And it was Dwayne who came to me first, and we studied together. And Dwayne made the choice to become a Jesus follower because he determined before he could love his wife the way she needed to be, he needed to love Jesus the way that Jesus had loved him. And so he became a Christ follower, a passionate, all-in Christian. Well, when Mandy started to witness the changes in his life that she thought only could be attributed to him becoming a Christian, she came to church. And a couple of weeks later, she gave her life to Christ. And then literally all hell seemed to break loose in their home. Not in their marriage, in their house. We warned them that might come. We weren't sure that it would come in that way, in that form. But we warned them that because they had transferred out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light, and that they were no longer walking in darkness, but walking in the presence of God's spirit within them, that Satan wasn't going to sit still for that. He rarely does. But we had no idea what his attacks were going to look like, and certainly not this bizarre. They were disturbing enough that we told them we'd come. I wished I could tell you what they were involved, but I can't because Gail and I can't remember. All we remember was is that it was really, really strange what was going on there. What we can tell you is this, is when we walked into the house, we remember how tense it was and that something wasn't right. Not because of the furniture, not because of what we had for dinner, but, but just something wasn't right about how it felt to be in their home. And we can tell you that when we left that night, it was an entirely different feeling. After having spent time in prayer, after having spent time going back over through Scripture, what the Scripture says and who it says we are in Christ 
And when we said, Satan, you don't have any right here anymore. In the name of Jesus, you must leave. Something changed. All I can do is testify to you about it. I can't explain it. All I can say is something changed. And what we left with was a peace that passed all understanding that Paul talks about. And for the first time in my life, I was involved in what some might call an exorcism. I don't believe that's what it was. I just believe it was a, a small group of people standing in truth, casting out a lie. The Apache Reservation and its attachment to medicine men is unique in some ways to their tribe. But the truth be told, the village of Ruidoso, and I might add the town of Kerrville, has its own attachments to false gods in our tribes. And we experience daily the hellish consequences that our allegiance bears out when we follow them. Our shamans who represent them are a lot more civilized than at the Apache Reservation, but they are not any less demonic. And their consequences are no less dark. Now that's a pretty heavy way to start a sermon, but let me go and shift the gear here with two words. But God. But God. God's Son came and convinced us that He was worthy of being called God because of an interesting death that He died that was made interesting because of an interesting resurrection that He experienced. And then some interesting promises He made in our lives because of that gospel story, as we call it. Church, Jesus not only wants us to experience salvation where we are no longer dead to our sins, but Jesus wants us to experience, and I want you to hear this word, liberation. Freedom is a word that we probably use much more often in our conversations. Freedom where we are no longer bound by the thoughts and habits of an old life that often cling to us. Now, I am thankful, and I want to underscore this, for my salvation. But I want to live in freedom. I want to live in freedom from the sin that has held me in its bondage far too long. Now, on behalf of God, I've come this morning on the edge of this second decade, of this second millennium. I want to remind you that Jesus Christ is not just a future resurrection for life. He is the resurrection for life. That we don't have to wait in prison cells before we finally get liberated to heaven. We get to start today. Now for many of us, we're going to have to change our minds about that being true. Let me just say that. For many of us in this room, we're going to have to change our minds about that being true. And so Paul is going to make it clear, we're going to need to think for a change. Now, I don't know about you, but I've always heard that phrase kind of used in a condescending way when somebody was mad at me. Jimmy, would you think for a change? Anybody here heard that phrase used that way? I'm, all, I'm the only one? Real? Okay, thank you. I thought I'm just a room full of liars here. Now, I know some of you have heard this. I guarantee you. Well, I want to say it differently for our church at least once, okay? Here we go. Church... The Spirit of God would like for you to think for a change. A real change. A change like some of the people who know you won't ever really believe that that happened on your own. Because it didn't. 
Paul tries to say that in a passage of Scripture that Anderson read a few moments ago that's so significant to our living out this freedom. I want to read it one more time. Here we go. Paul says, don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world. You can, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you'll learn to know God's will for yourself. His good and pleasing and perfect will. Now, I know you're going to have trouble believing that that's actually true, so let's ask God's help, okay? Father, we bow before you this morning, and I, I feel the weight of this message. This is big, much bigger than me. I feel almost as nervous as, as maybe Paul did writing it, that we would actually believe that we could change. Because some of us have, have some areas in our lives for so long we haven't been able to change it. We know we're not the only church, we're not the only tribe of disciples that are trying to believe this. So we, we lift up Zion Lutheran Church this morning and say, God, those brothers and sisters there that are trying to follow Christ and try to read his word and try to, to be that word, living word in this community, would you help knit our hearts together as a family so that we might do that together as a family? For we ask it in Jesus' name and everybody said. The wrong place to start in a quest for freedom is this. And that's by addressing enslaving behaviors. Bondage to lying, bondage to drugs, bondage to your phone, bondage to pornography, bondage to greed, bondage to work, work, workaholism. All of those are destructive behaviors, but here's the reality. People behave the way they behave because they believe the way they believe. Let me say that again. People behave the way they behave because they believe the way they believe. Whether we recognize that about ourselves or not, nobody wakes up and says, today I want to open the door to my very own personal prison. Think I'll walk in. Nobody says that. Nobody says, my purpose is to arrive at a place that I can no longer control my temper. It's been my dream to become a pathetic people pleaser. Nobody says that. Nobody says, I want to be immobilized by fear. Fear that I'm going to lose my savings. Fear that I'm going to lose my soul. Nobody wants to end up there. But here's the truth. Many of us do. And how we remain there is most often because we believe, listen to me, a lie. You may not be a lie teller much. But the reality is we all at one time or another are lie believers. Every single one of us. If you're in Christ, this is the only way that Satan, Scripture says, can influence you. In Romans chapter 6, here's what the Bible says. If we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that the old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Friend, your commitment to Jesus Christ, I want you to hear from God's word, breaks the hold Satan has on any of you. You are a new creation in Christ. I didn't put this one back up there. I probably should have. Romans 8.11 says this. If the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ lives in you, that same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies. Not your heavenly body, your mortal body. 
Satan only has the power to exert a lie in your life, not over your life. Now that may seem small, that Satan can try to lie to me because most of us in our culture believe lying is about on the same level as speed limits. They're only bad if you get caught. Living a lie is always death to some part of you. It's always a, a death to someone around you, I promise you. So, brother, please know if you're in Christ, Satan has no authority over you. He must deceive you in order to get what he wants from you. If you're new to this whole church scene and even to Christianity, I get this may not be how you understand the world. It may not be your worldview. But as Christians, we do not believe that the evil in this world is random. We don't. We believe in a malicious evil being that is behind all the evil in the world, and God refers to him in one word, Satan. And God reveals that Satan travels, listen to me, at the speed of thought. Which is why every time the Apostle Paul writes about the devil, he also writes about the mind. Look at several examples from 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 4. In speaking of the devil, Paul says, The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. Now, again, I want to say this. If you're a believer in Christ, Satan has no power over your mind to blind you, but his goal is still the same. To try and do his best to keep you from seeing truth. To distract you. To lie to you. To mislead you. He wants to do anything that he can to help lead you away from the truth. And so he entices you most of the time with a lie. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11 verse 3, Paul says, I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray. He says in 2 Corinthians 11... 2 verse 11, we're not unaware of the devil's schemes. Now the Greek word there is the word for mind, mind trap or mind game. Paul says we are not unaware of his mind games. We're not unaware of his thoughts or his agendas, which is simply this, to plant thoughts in your mind without you recognizing what he's doing. He wants you to recognize them or think of them as your own thoughts. That's why I like what John Eldred says in his book, Wild at Heart. He writes, has it ever crossed your mind that not every thought that comes to you in your mind is from you? God would hope you'd consider that. If you don't consider John's words, please consider his. Why would a person take a shotgun to a church and kill people knowing he would either be killed or spend the rest of his life in jail for doing it? How does a person see so little value in their life and the lives of innocent others that he would plan on doing that? We believe someone or something by the name of Satan convinced him, lied to him, that this was the way to make him pay. Or that this was the way that he could finally get something right in the world. Or that this was the way that he could make a name for himself. I don't know what the lie was, but we believe he was fed a lie. And I don't know what his state is in Christ or out, but he bought the lie. And not only did innocent people die, he died. Why would a person do that? Because they bought a believable lie. And who planted such a disoriented, untrue lie? We believe it was Satan. So let's give credit where credit is due. Jesus calls him the father of lies. And he's attempting, 
this is the scary part, to do that with you on some level. Because Satan loves to sow suggestions in our minds that will call into question the character and the design and the calling of our almighty God. Go all the way back to the front of God's history with the mankind, with mankind in Genesis. How did he present himself in the world for the very first time? He showed up and just made some suggestions. Uh, did God really say, why would God be against would God really want you not to have? Do you think that God would really do that if you? He just made some suggestions. And his strategy hasn't changed. The reason that Satan wants to plant his negative thoughts in your mind is he knows that if we give them opportunity to take root, they'll move from just a thought to a negative mindset. A negative thought can easily become a mindset. And if that mindset is allowed to take root, it can become a lifestyle that leads to what I'm going to call a mind prison or just simply bondage. Let me give an example. Satan sees a, a husband who's struggling for the day in his marriage. And he brings up the memory of one of his wife's failures to him and he places it on the doorstep of his mind. And the simple thought is this. I knew that before we even got married. That was a mistake. Now, if that thought is allowed to linger long enough, it's allowed to be in the inbox long enough, that spam that Satan sent in, that, that, that this is a mistake, this marriage, all of a sudden moves from something in the past to that was a mistake to this that I'm living in is a mistake. Now that's moving from a negative thought from a negative mindset to a negative lifestyle because here's what you start doing with mistakes. They're a little bit different from gifts, aren't they? Gifts you look for the good in. Gifts you enjoy. Gifts you just, you can't, you just want to dwell about. Mistakes you want to distance yourself from. You want to put behind you as quickly as possible. And so when I move from a thought to a mindset to a negative lifestyle, it's not long before now I didn't have a, a, make a mistake when I got married. This is a mistake, and I don't know how to make it something different. That's a middle prison. If you live long enough thinking that your marriage is a mistake, that mindset is going to turn into something that you're going to need outside help from. And statistics prove counseling can help, but it needs to be almost an intervention of God himself to bring that marriage back. Not just marriages, but literally anything that you want to talk about that can be destroyed that's good. Now, I know what I'm talking about when I'm talking about a guy that might have a thought in his mind that moves from a thought to a mindset to a lifestyle to a mental prison because I lived that and watched the marriage be destroyed, my own. He does it with marriages. He does it with families. He does it with jobs. He does it with reputations. He, he's just a jerk. He has been since the beginning, and what he wants to see is the things that God loves and God holds dear absolutely destroyed. 
and he can do it with a lie. And so Jesus says this in Matthew 24 and verse 4, make sure that no one misleads you. Proverbs 23 and verse 7 says, as a man thinks in his heart, be careful, so is he. And this is why I had you turn to 2 Corinthians 10, because if you haven't been here in a while, please be reminded of this particular scripture. For though we live in the world, Christians, we don't wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. And so we demolish arguments. We do that. And every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive. We do. That's what Christians do. Every thought to make it obedient to who? To Christ. We talked last week about strongholds. Let me put the definition back up on the screen this week. A stronghold is an entrenched pattern of thought that's contrary to the, the truth of God. That's all it is. It's a mental stronghold. It's a mental quicksand. It looks innocent enough at first till you get into it. And then once you do, you can't get out. Not on your own. And can we be honest, every single one of us at one time or another, if not today, has struggled with a mental stronghold. The simple explanation is you were operating on a system of unrecognizable lies. I don't know too many people who believe a lie when they know it's a lie. The brochure of Satan that he handed you to make that choice just outside the will of God. As he promised you places to go and people to see and treasures to enjoy. And it's just outside, just a little bit outside the will of God. Just one night. Just one hour. Just one weekend. Well, at least at first it might have been. And it may have been great. No, sometimes, most of the time, it is great. But without recognizing it, all of a sudden we've been taken farther than we wanted to go and we've been kept longer than we wanted to stay and all of a sudden we've paid a cost we didn't want to pay and for some of you, I'm talking about you today. And it breaks my heart because Satan's a jerk. And in many cases, Satan's lies have had you in his grip for some time and it's destroying your life. And you haven't been able to break free on your own. And so before we got too deep into the year, we had to talk. Because there's hope. There really is hope. And it begins when you understand that the mind is a line of scribbage. That it is his primary battlefield where the battle for your life is going to be fought. You see, he loves painting and planting lies in your minefield. And if you don't capture those, if you don't counter his lies with the truth of God, those lies are going to capture you. It's just an age-old, timeless disaster. And so I need to ask you this morning a very real question. Keep it rhetorical. Don't mean for you to answer out loud. But do you really, do you really want to see the strongholds in your life abolished. Just think about that for a moment. Do you really? Because you see, to demolish them is the only way that you can abolish the strongholds in your life. And you do that through the Word of God. That's all. Now, if you're giving an enemy a secure place, he's going to stay there as long as you allow him to. And he'll have access and authority in ways that you never really understand and don't really want. And that's what we do every time that we 
we believe one of his lies when it's just outside the will of God. I want the kids to please hear me for a moment. This is why your parents bring you to church. This is why they, they keep these Bibles that, that you received when you were a child. And you couldn't read the thing. <laughs> that really wasn't for you so much as it was for the mom and the dad. To remind them that, that of all things that you make central and foundational to their lives, please remember to make this. But your parents bring you to church because they realize on their own it's impossible to help you develop a mindset that will keep you from ruining your life. And it's impossible to help you develop a mindset that will keep your heart open to all the ways of God that can make, give for an amazing, abundant life. And so they want, to, they want some help, just to be honest. We did. We didn't want to raise our kids by our own and, and, and with this book on our own. No, we surrounded ourselves with life groups and we took our kids to camps and we took them to concerts. We, we took them to everywhere we could get them around where like-minded people were trying to, to train their minds so that they could understand when Satan was feeding them a lie. That would move from a thought to a mindset to a lifestyle to a mind prison. Because we realized there was going to come a time in their life when they were going to be outside of our roof and have to make those decisions and sort through those filters on their own. And so that's why we asked for other people to surround us as a family and help us. Because here's what's going to happen. Kids, when you get out on your own, there's going to be some very respectable people who are going to feed you lies. And one of them is this, that you are nothing but a cosmic accident. There are going to be people in the school systems, both in your elementaries, junior highs, and in colleges, who will try to say to you that there is no sacred God. There is no sacred word. There is no sacred plan for your life. All of this is just one big cosmic accident. And you're just a cosmic germ looking for a place to happen. And when that thought becomes a mindset, it becomes a lifestyle that leads to some mind prisons and bondage like, if this is all just an accident, why wouldn't I just kill a a life inside my body. They call that abortion. Why wouldn't I take a shotgun and go kill people? They're just cosmic accidents. Why wouldn't I steal? Why wouldn't I lie? Why wouldn't I do whatever I wanted to do? Because we're all just one big accident, right? That's why your parents have brought you here to the church because there's a different take on that. That there really is a God who intentionally and purposefully and lovingly made this place and made you and has a plan for you. And we want you to understand that and know that so that when you go out and you hear lies, you go, that's not the truth. I may have to study it, pass a test on it, get an A, but I know that's not the truth. We behave the way we behave because we believe what we believe. And so we're trying to place a deep, truths inside that belief system of yours so that you can live, my friend. We don't want to keep you from anything great. Neither does your Heavenly Father. Please know that. Need another example of how many of us behave the way we believe? Many of us were not raised thinking that Jesus Christ really took care of our sin debt at the cross and completed the work of salvation by dying in our place. Oh, He did that. 
but it really wasn't the basis of our salvation. Because we also believed what has now become, become called legalism, that, that we had to do something to add to that. And in that package of his death and resurrection and our good works, that package presented to God would get our ticket to heaven punched. And what that led to, those beliefs, some behaviors that were filled with guilt, and if we didn't worry that we hadn't done enough, then we thought we were better than other people, better than most actually. And so if it wasn't guilt, it was pride that we struggled with. And so those behaviors manifested themselves in some very ugly ways, both in our church and outside of those who were trying to be the church too. So we could settle on a faith based on a new set of rules from Matthew to Revelation and call that the new law book, when God never called it that. He said it wasn't going to be based on new law, it was going to be based on the Holy Spirit. And so it left it pretty much up to us to get free, if we were ever going to get free. And if we didn't, we could ask for forgiveness, but we couldn't really ask for God to help us and expect Him to. Are we tracking? Tracking with me in my life. Paul says, unacceptable. Unacceptable. In Ephesians chapter 4 and 22, he says, Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, Throw off your old sinful nature. Don't live with it. Throw it off in your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and your attitudes. I'm telling you, there's hope. There's real hope you can change, but you're going to have to think for a change, and the Spirit will help you do that. You say, wow, Jimmy, I'd like to get in on that. How? Well, I'll tell you how in just a couple of minutes, but let me ask a question first. Do you really want to see those strongholds demolished? Or the way we ask it in the first week of the series in John chapter 5, Jesus said this, do you really want to get well? Really? <laughs> because some of us don't. Man, there's responsibility, and there's people asking me to help outside of this bondage. And I don't know that I want. I'd rather be the victim, thank you. And when I think of victims, I can't help but think of Harry. Oh, my goodness. Harry was driving down the street, and a policeman pulled him over, and, he, and the policeman walks up and says, Harry, did you notice that your front headlight was out? And he said, no, I didn't. And his wife said, oh, Harry, that thing's been out for three months. And he looked at her with a face, you know, and the officer said, I'm also going to have to give you a ticket for the seatbelt that you're not wearing. Did you know you weren't wearing your seatbelt, Harry? He said, yeah, I noticed that. He said, but I, I was putting the groceries in and I just forgot. And she said, Harry, you never wear your seatbelt. <laughs> and he said, Martha, would you just shut up? And the policeman leaned in and said, Martha, does he always talk to you this way? And she said, oh, no, sir. Only when he's drunk. <laughs> I thought you needed some comical relief about now. But you know Harry's going to go home and say, this is all your fault, right? I'm Harry, and so are you. Sometimes we love to play the victim, that it's somebody else's fault why I'm having to pay for the ticket, or I am the way that I am, or I got angry the way I got angry, or I fill in the blank. So that's why I'm asking, do you really want to let go of the stronghold?
Because it's the Spirit who can help you break free, but only He can. Here's what the Scripture says, But when the kindness and love of our God and our Savior appeared, He saved us, love that, not because of righteous things that we had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and the renewal that comes by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, when He comes in us, begins to illuminate the lies we've been thinking. And He reveals the truth when we can actually reprogram those things. That I can think new things. I can, I can have a new set of beliefs that then changes my behaviors. And that's why Paul can say to us, let me, let me encourage you, have the mind of Christ. That's what he says in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5. Every one of you who are Jesus followers, you can have the mind of Christ. And you can because some Christian brothers and sisters made sure that they wrote down the unique accounts of Jesus' life as they saw them. And we call them Gospels. And some other brothers in what's known as the book of Acts and the letters of Paul and the letters of Peter and even Jesus' brother James. Did you know Jesus had a brother? Some of you didn't. Jesus had a brother by the name of James. And get this, Jesus convinced James' brother that he was God. What would it take for you to convince a brother or sister of yours that you were God? Come on! James was so convinced that he was who he says he was, that he became not just a Christian, but an elder in the church, and then gave his life telling other people about it. But before he died, he wrote down some things and said, can I tell you how this has impacted my life, and it could impact yours. And I'm so glad they wrote it down, and I'm so glad we have that at our disposal to be able to use and to benefit from Do you really want to benefit from it? Have this mind among yourselves, which is in Christ Jesus. I love this by Jesus' best friend. He wrote this in John chapter 20. Why would you write this down? He says, because Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these I wrote down. These are written that you may believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah and the Son of God, and that by believing them, I love this part, you may have what? Life. Life in His name. Where did that last part of our mission steps come from? That we would love God and love our neighbor so that we could live life to the full? Because Jesus said we could. And we're trying our best to learn how. And we got a long way to go. Amen? I do. But He promised we can get there not by ourselves, but with the Spirit's help we can. So do you want to live a life of freedom that your family can enjoy and you can enjoy in this war zone at least as best as it can get here? Then I want to say this. You, you can't do it without the Spirit. And you can't do it without the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. You can't. I know in 2020 you're making plans to eat well. I know in 2020 you're making plans to get plenty of sleep. You can get your kids to soccer practice and you want to get them home to study. But I want to ask us, what plans are you making for your family this year to be in God's Word? What plans are you making? I could quote the Bible from verses like 2 Timothy 3.16. That all Scripture is breathed by God. He uses people to write it, but He breathes it. And it's useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness. So that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. But I also want you to watch this. 
and see if maybe this helps you make some plans for 2020 for your family to be in the Word. Let's watch. There was a recent study by the Center for Bible Engagement where they pulled 40,000 uh, uh, general population in the U.S. from 8 to 80, and they just wanted to see how we are engaging with Scripture. Right. And they discovered something that actually became kind of the profound discovery of the entire study. It, they weren't even looking for this, and this is kind of became the highlight of the study. Right. Um, when we're in the Scripture one time a week, and that could be church on Sunday. That's pastor saying you open your Bible, we hear the message. One time a week had negligible effect on some key areas of your life. So I'll, I'm going to spell that out more here in a moment. Two times a week, negligible effect. Now at three times a week, there was a blip on the map. Like there was a heartbeat. Something happened, again, a heartbeat. Okay. But here was the profound discovery. When we're in the scripture four times a week, it literally spikes off the chart. You would expect that it'd be one, two, th I mean, there'd be a gradual incline right. on the effect and impact that would have in your life, but it was literally one, two, three, four, something radically happens. Okay, you got my curiosity. To this what, extent. What kind of behavior is being affected? Feeling lonely drops 30%. Wow. Ang four times a week in the four Bible. Four times a week in the Bible. Okay. Anger issues drop 32%. Uh, bitterness in relationships, marriage, a relationship with your kids, and so on, drops 40%. Alcoholism drops 57%. Feeling spiritually stagnant. You know, if there was one area when I'm talking with people that, that they'll be honest about is they just feel spiritually stagnant. Ask them the question, how much time are you spending in the Scripture? If they're in the Scripture four times a week or more, it drops 60%. Wow. Viewing pornography drops 61%. That's very important. Now, on a flip positive side, sharing your faith wow. jumps 200%. Wow. Because you have a confidence in God's Word. And then discipling others jumps 230%. That's, that's amazing right there. God has a software package he'd like to run in your hard drive. And you know what it's capable of doing? Detecting viruses. Dangerous, life-threatening viruses. You got to run the software. It makes a difference. Young people, please hear me. In 1 John chapter 2, Paul says, I've written to you who are young in the faith because you're strong. You don't have to wait to be old to get strong in the faith. As a matter of fact, some of us who have this kind of hair are really pretty weak. Here's what he says is the key. I've written to you who are young in the faith because you're strong, because God's word lives in you. In your hearts. And you've won the battle with the evil one. Wouldn't you like to have someone say about you, they, they've won the battle with evil. I hope they could say it about me. I'm not sure they could. Last week I asked that you um, begin to get some time to think about and pray about what might be the stronghold in your life that's keeping you from living in a certain area of your life. Um, because I knew some of us as we walked in last week weren't going to have a clue what that might be. And I've been praying and I hope that you have too, that God would reveal and illumine what that is. I'd like for you right now to just simply reach forward into that seat back and pull out what we call a visitor's card, if you've got one there. If you've got plenty, I'm going to do that now. Pull one out. 
and get something to write with. I need your help. Here's what I want you to write in the bottom left-hand corner. Start. Start. If you've been with us in this series, I did ask you one time to think about what you want to stop. And, and so that plays into this. But we want to kind of put a positive spin on this year of 2020. What is it you'd like to start doing in 2020 that you're not now? Maybe because of something that's stopping you from doing it. Would you like to start eating 3,500 calories or less for the next 60 days? Start reading God's Word minimally four times a week for you and your family? You want to start being grateful for and respecting your parents for the next 60 days? You want to start walking two miles at least three times a week for the next 60 days? You want to start hosting a life group in your home at least once a month for the next 60 days? You want to start living within your budget for the next 60 days? You want to start living smoke-free for the next 60 days or alcohol-free for the next 60 days? If you're not aware of the bondage that's holding you hostage... I'm going to be praying for you that God will make that, will make that aware of you. If you're not a Christian, I haven't read anywhere in Scripture where he will make you aware of that because Satan right now is busy blinding you. And he has power and authority to do that in your life. Now somehow or another when the Gospels preach for a moment, a window opens, and I can't explain this. I, don't hold me to finding the exact Scripture on it, but... But if he's blinded people, some force has got to come and open up their eyes. And from what I understand about this story is the gospel does that for a moment. And then there comes a time and place, Hebrews 6 says, that that gospel can't penetrate because our hearts become way too hard. And I'm saying this morning, if some way, somehow, this gospel, that Christ came and that he died for you and God raised him for you, has hit your heart and you want in, like this baptism here. His name just went out the window. Sorry. Brand, who? Brandon. If you want in like Brandon wanted in this morning, we can do exactly the same thing. You don't have to have an appointment. We don't have to wait till next Sunday. We can start today. But that window's going to close. You'll walk out of here, and I don't know if it's going to reopen again. But for some of you who are in Christ right now, it's not that you're blinded and you can't see. It's that you just don't want out. If you want out and you want to start something, please, I'm just going to ask you, would you put that on a card? And as you walk out of here, we've got some baskets that are right next to a pair of handcuffs. One is an image of you walking in. The other is where you want to walk out. I want to invite you to put that there in a few moments. We're going to stand and sing a song in a few moments. And if you haven't... If it hasn't come to your mind what that might be, I'm going to be singing or and praying at the same time that God would illumine that and you'd write something down and you'd place it on there because here's what's going to happen. I'm going to commit to praying over those for the next month. And your elders, when we get together this next Tuesday, every one of us is going to be praying over these things that you want to see come alive in your 2020. Because we believe that that's a key ingredient we're going to talk about next week. But this is where we start acknowledging, I want out. Here's where I'd like to go. And God's word hopefully has led us to the place to know that this is even possible. Let me end with this illustration and the, the message is yours. We'll stand and praise him. Sports Illustrated says that there's the two greatest athletic achievements in the last century were first Sir Edmund Hillary climbing Mount Everest. And then second, Roger Bannister, a British medical student doing the unthinkable.
running the sub four-minute mile. They tried for years and assumed it was absolutely impossible. As a matter of fact, Roger Bannister wrote, the doctor and scientist said to me that breaking the four-minute mile was impossible, that one would die in the attempt. Which is why he said, when I got up from the track after collapsing at the finish line, I thought I was dead. <laughs> True story. Roger Bannister ran the mile there on the, in 3.59.4 seconds. Barely did it, but he did it. Now here's the amazing thing. In the next 10 years, 336 people broke the four-minute mile. Because the problem wasn't in their legs. It was in their minds. Once that stronghold came down, freedom began to be experienced by many, many people. Friend, God wants you to love him with all your heart, with all your soul, all your strength. Finish it with me. And all your mind. And what God expects, please hear me, he always enables. Because he knows we're helpless without him. So, would you please join me in 2020 in thinking for the change. Let's stand, let's praise in church.